0: Good morning church, my name is Eugene Garcia, I'm a covenant partner here at First Pres, and I have the honor to reading our scripture today. This morning we celebrate concrete confidence in Christ through fixing our faith on the covenant love of Jesus. When Jesus and the new covenant in his blood is the focus of our faith, we discover the strength we need, the significance and status we long for the substance we are looking for, and the stability we crave. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter eight, verses six through 13. Please join me in the reading of God's word by following along in your Bibles or on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better and since it enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, each they should not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their unique iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. join me in this call and response. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Eugene. Good morning, everyone. I add my greetings to those you've already heard. God bless you, brother. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please keep them open to Hebrews 8. We're going to unpack this passage together. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to open your phone. Somehow get the Word in front of you so we can look at it. We want to get the Word in your heart so you can know it and live it. Uh, It's a good thing to be able to celebrate studying God's Word together, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. Uh, How many of you all, if you were blindfolded, do you think you could walk in a straight line? How many of you? Let me see a show of hands. If you're blindfolded, how many of y'all? I got one back there in the back. I got more people here. All right, we got some confident folks. How about this side? You think you're going to walk in a straight line if you're blindfolded? No. Okay, so we we don't even have a divided room. We have the remnant who is very confident in themselves. Most of them, by the way, are under the age of 11. So there was one elder of our church who raised his hand. I'm not going to point him out, but that's the company you're keeping, bro. So I'm just saying... Here's the truth. Fixed points determine our direction. There was a scientist named Isa Schaefer back in the 20s who first started studying whether or not people can walk in a straight line when they're blindfolded. He discovered what other sociologists and scientists and people who have studied this have repeated again and again in their experiments. If you are blindfolded, Whether you're walking or swimming or driving, you cannot go in a straight line. Eventually, you will go in circles. Often, you will end up in the exact place where you started. So what do you need to go into a straight line? Better to ask, how? can we avoid continuing going in circles? The answer, you need a fixed point. Something that is on the horizon like a mountaintop or some sort of large landmark or a star to navigate through the oceans, the seas, and the storms of life. Without a fixed point, you're going to go in circles to put it in Texas ranching terms if you want to plow a straight row you got to keep your eyes on a fence post right in front of you right you might be saying Mitchell we've been studying Hebrews now for weeks and it sure seems like the author of Hebrews is going in circles lots of Old Testament talk Melchizedek high priest all this stuff was he blindfolded when he wrote it no He wasn't. And good news for us today. This chapter, chapter eight, if you have your Bibles open, you can see how this chapter starts now to the point. (laughs) The author says, Yes! And he talks about the fixed point for our faith that gives us, secures for us an anchored hope so that we can quit going in circles with our life and truly find the stability that we long for, the strength and the safety that we're looking for. But first, let me diagnose this with you. Where you focus matters. None of us are blindfolded going through life, but all of us are focusing on something that may or may not be beneficial. What you focus on will either lead to more ruin in your life, or it will lead to restoration. Now, there's a, a great story called The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo is a book that was written by a guy named uh, Alexander Dumas in 1844. If you're like my wife, you've read the book. If you're like my wife's spouse, you looked at the book and decided to watch the movie. <laughs> they're, they're mostly close. So one of the main characters is this guy named Edmund Dantes. And Edmond Dantes, if you've read the book or seen the movie, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. His boss was deceived. He lost his job. His girlfriend was misled and then taken from him. And then he was exiled into a prison called Chateau Yves. That's the best French I can do right there. Chateau d'If. You want the lament? so good. Okay, all right, stop there. <laughs> somebody 's like, "Can we just close in prayer? Get this guy off the stage so he 's exiled at the Chateau des if and he 's in solitude for the rest of his life and one thing keeps him moving. one focus is revenge and After six years of being in solitude, but just a random act of, of trying to escape, this old priest tunnels his way into Edmund Dante's prison. And he, the priest was hoping he would come outside of uh, the, the prison, but he turns out in another cell. I mean, how often does that happen in life? And he teaches Edmund Dante's all this stuff, and through a series of events, a priest, uh, he's getting ready to die, and he reveals to Dante's how he can find the treasure of Monte Cristo. And Edmund Dantes, focused on revenge, says, I will use all of that treasure to get my revenge when I escape. And the priest has this remarkably pointed line that triggers the whole narrative of the story in this tension. It forces the reader or or the viewer of the movie to begin to evaluate Dantes' decisions when he finally escapes, discover the riches, and he's living only for revenge. And he's so focused on revenge that the riches, they don't satisfy. He's so focused on revenge that there's no place... For love to find a home in his heart, even when he's reconnected with his girlfriend. He's so focused on revenge that when he actually has a chance to get it, he's completely empty. And it's not until he changes his focus, as to not ruin the, the book or movie, but when he finally changes his focus, and he finally has a different fixed point for his life other than revenge, is when he finds everything that his heart is actually looking for. You see, what we focus on will determine not only the stability and the safety we have in life, and the storms of life, but it will also give direction to either ruin or restoration. Now, Edmund Dantes illustrates what all of us struggle with. This temptation to have a fixed point, a focus... To get us through life that is completely unsatisfying, unfulfilling, and doesn't deliver on any of its promises. The author of Hebrews has been climaxing this argument, building this whole case that we are, by God's grace, with total security, to draw near to God. And today, he gives you a fixed point. Your fixed point It isn't horizontal, focused on your circumstances. Those are going to change. Your fixed point is not whether things are going good, going bad, not if you have all your question answered. It isn't if you understand. Your fixed point isn't internal. It's not whether or not you can be perfect, whether or not you can answer all the questions or accomplish that thing to climb your way out of the hole you're in. Your hope is not here. It's not internal and it's not external. Our fixed point is eternal, and it is anchored in heaven, and he wants to focus your heart on Jesus and the security we have in the new covenant that he gives us. So before we unpack the word of the Lord, will you join me in going to the Lord of the word in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we long for your spirit to ambush us We ask that you would rip our eyes off of the things of this world, fix our eyes on you. Where there is devastation, Lord, will you bring restoration? Where there is ruin from our decisions and our poor focuses, would you bring true transformation from the hope that we have from heaven? Lord Jesus, Son of David, we believe, but will you help us with our unbelief? In your name we pray, amen. Having a fixed point is not something that the author of Hebrews uh, creates within himself. You remember the teaching of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. That is to say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The author and perfecter of our faith. That we throw off the sin that easily entangles, entangles us. It entangles us too. I don't even know what that means, but I said it. And the focus of the work of the person of Jesus is the work of Jesus and the covenant that he gives. It's called a better covenant and a more excellent covenant. But focusing our faith can be difficult. How do we do it? It's as easy as A, B, C. A. First thing that we see in this passage is that we have to admit that our old ways of understanding things, acknowledging the problem uh, that the first covenant and the way we relate to God, it has faults. You see what he says right at the beginning of chapter of chapter eight, verse six. It is Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. To really anchor our hope to fix our faith on Christ, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. The first covenant had faults. Now, in the Old Testament, of which the author of Hebrews has been really walking us through, it's clear when we read it that God relates to his people through covenants. What is a covenant? The Children's Catechism says it's a relationship that God establishes with his people and guarantees by his word. That is to say that when his people are faithless, God remains faithful. God doesn't let us go. But here's the reality of the Old Covenant. Pay attention here. It's unconditional in regards to merit. God chose his people, and there's nothing that Israel could do to be unchosen by God. In fact, Deuteronomy 7 is clear. God chose them because they were the least, the smallest. They had no reason to be chosen, but out of God's great love, he chose a people who had no recognition a reason to be recognized or chosen. Unconditional in regards to merit. However, the Old Testament was conditional in regards to instrumentality of the blessings. That's a big way to say this that when you were in the unconditional relationship with God in the Old Covenant, if you did not obey God's law, you would not experience God's blessing. In fact, scripture's very clear that if you disobeyed God's law, you would experience the curses of the covenant completely insufficient because it's based on human performance that is why god wanted to offer a better covenant through christ you and i have a problem it's a sin problem and there is no way that a holy god can relate to an unholy people if it's primarily rooted in our own performance you and i we fall short You and I, we miss the mark. You and I, we sin against God. We trespass against others. And if our experience of God's covenant blessing is based on our merit or performance, we fall short. Let me tell you something. Right now in life, you need a hope. You need a security. You need a source of strength that is far greater than than your performance. If you relate to God in believing that the only way he's going to give you the security, the strength, the hope that you need is if you're good or you're bad and you treat him as if he's some judge that's giving you this, uh, operating with scales, you've got to let that go. And you've got to admit that you've been relating to God in an old covenant way. And you have got to receive his invitation for intimate participation in covenant relationship whereby you are loved, you are accepted based on the performance of another, Jesus Christ. That's the second thing. We have to believe. We acknowledge the problem. We believe that God is faithful and keeps his promises of a better covenant. You know, the next six verses that we study, they all come from the prophet Jeremiah. Hebrews quotes this whole section of Jeremiah who is called the weeping prophet. And he gives this unbelievably welcoming invitation to come into covenant relationship with God through a new covenant. It replaces the old covenant because all the old covenant was based on if you do, then you will receive. If you obey, then you'll experience covenant blessing. If you disobey, you'll receive covenant curse. But God's grace gives a new and better way. If you look at this passage multiple times, God says, I will do this. I will give you this. I will do this. And the focus of the new covenant is not on your performance, but on God's performance in Christ. And we have this invitation to believe And this intimate relationship is found in the reality that God says over us, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what it says. That's a covenant description that goes all the way back to Abraham, all the way forward to Revelation when Jesus is on the throne. This is the core of what intimate participation in the covenant means. You have a God, and it's no political power in this world. You have a God, and it's not the economy. You have a God. It's not your zip code. You have a God, and he's on, thr- on the throne, and he is sovereign, r- using all of the efforts of the enemy for his own purposes. He's using all the circumstances of life for the good of those who trust him and the glory of his name. Do you believe that your God is greater than your circumstances and greater than your own performance and that he's on the throne in heaven? Because that's what God wants you to know. But not only does he reign infinitely over this, we have this unbelievable uh, reality that he is our God and we are his people. But the relationship is from the heart. It says that he writes his law on our hearts. He gives his spirit to our hearts. You know, I'm fascinating. Did you know that the the human heart beats over 100,000 times a day? Did you know that? Every day, the human heart has over 1,680 gallons of blood that flows through it. You know how much that costs with today's gas prices? (laughs) Like, Valero is going to just bank off of that, but God gives it to you for free. And in your life your heart is going to beat uh, more than, I have it written down a lot, 3.5 billion times. And there's nothing that humans can do to replicate that. Nobody can make a heart. We can replace parts of a heart, but nobody can make a heart. We have great technology. You know, The covenant that God gives, it says that he gives us a new heart. God gives us a heart of flesh, one that beats with him in a live relationship so that when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can believe and receive it. He gives us a living, active participation so that as the circumstances of our world change, Just as your heart has been beating a ton during this service, you hadn't even thought about it. You hadn't even made your blood flow. You haven't even asked your body to send oxygen throughout your body from your lungs to your brain, to your appendages to try to keep your eyes open but it's not working because your stomach is hungry and you want to get out of this service and you haven't even told your body to do all these things but it's done it. I'm telling you. You know how many times you've blinked this service? No, you don't. But your body does these things because your body's created to act in a certain way. Listen, friends. God's faithfulness is so much greater when he gives us a new heart and a new spirit, and it's a permanent relationship. The new covenant is permanent the heart that he gives us, you say, well, I don't know. I mean, I know God's holy, but I haven't been perfect. I know God's holy, but you don't know what I've done with my life. I know God's holy, but I'm not really walking with him, you know? I mean, here's the deal. I, I, I haven't been that great of a guy my whole life. Well, that, that's not the issue, your performance. Do you see the end of this promise? The last, I will? I will What? Verse 12, I'll be merciful towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. You want a fixed hope? You're not defined by your worst action, your worst thought. You want to know a true, secure identity? It comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He remembers our sin no more. You see, our relationship with God is based on His performance. And we have got to stop taking our own work so serious. God's love is steadfast. It's permanent. His mercies new every morning. And he remembers our sin no more. Psalm 103 says he takes our sin, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Jeremiah says later that he takes the sin and puts it behind his back. The prophet Malachi says that he has, he'll take our sin and he'll hurl it into the depths of the sea. And Cory Tinboom Boom adds that there's no fishing sign put up. It's gone. And the New Testament says that Jesus Christ became sin so that he can give you the righteousness of God. And Paul says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's permanent because it's based on a greater performance. You want true security? Stop looking politically and financially. Security comes from the steadfast love of the Lord. You want real strength? Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your social network. Start fixing your eyes on God and His work. You want real significance? You want an identity that you don't have to curate and manage? Then find your identity in the secure work of Jesus because you have a status as his child. You want real substance? Fix your eyes on the heavenly hope that is Christ who gives you salvation, not just from your sin, but he saves us from the storms of life. He gives us stability. Because his work is unchanging and he gives us safety that our hearts are longing for. Admit that your old ways of relating to God are inadequate. Believe God's covenant promises and have concrete, see, confidence in God's covenant faithfulness. Can I speak frankly to you? Like, grown up to grown up here? You need somewhere to put concrete confidence. Confidence. You need somewhere that'll give you something greater than what you know, the resources you have, what you can do, how you can look. You need to have a fixed hope that it isn't something that's unchanging. You might not have all the answers, but in God's family, you're with and you're present. You're with God, our Father as a child, and he knows it all. You have a security that goes far beyond anything citizenship in this world can give you. You have an eternal security in Christ. You know, gymnasts, when they're doing all their tumbling routines, ice skaters, when they're doing all their spinning, there's one way that they don't get sick, is that every time they turn around, they have a fixed point. They focus. You watch them. I mean, maybe some of you will watch them uh, on your own free time, but watch every time they turn their eyes, fix on one thing. As you enter a, top, a topsy-turvy world, I challenge you or invite you to find the restoration and renewal that comes in knowing the security of a fixed relationship with Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy Set before him. Relationship with you. He endured the cross. So that by his blood, we can enter in to the Holy of Holies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, and I pray that you would help us to be a people who admit the ways that we've been relating to you are faulty, that we could believe your covenant relationship, Lord, that we could believe that your love is secure through the work of Christ, and that your grace will not let us go, that you'll be faithful to your promises, and Lord, help us to have concrete confidence in you, that we can totally trust you knowing that we're forgiven and we're free to focus our eyes on you. We thank you for your love, and I pray, Lord, that you would revive our hearts with your grace, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word through singing together.